when was the time to even say that I actually was a fashion stylist? Hello everyone and welcome to Life's Algorithm with me, your host, Georgia Westwood, a podcast where I will explore life's algorithm by talking to my guests as I connect the corporate world to the world of social media to explore how everybody's algorithm is different. For this month's podcast, I'm joined by Alizé Demange, one of the most in-demand stylists in London right now, with her roster of figures dominating the music, television and fashion industries, working with names including Maya Jammer, Young T and Bugsy, as well as Easy Mills. When Alizé isn't collaborating with artists and designers, she is developing another side to her career, curation and consultancy. Styling big names in the UK can seem like a dream job. In this episode, Alizé shares what it really means to be a stylist, understanding the careful calculations of thought planning, and how she paves the way for young creatives in her city through working on a number of workshops and panels. So welcome, Alizé. How are you? Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm good, actually. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Um, So before we get into our conversation today, let's start with some quick fire questions to sort of get to know you a little bit better. Okay. So how does that sound? Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, cool. Let's go for it. (laughs) Right. What is your go-to Starbucks order? Oh, okay. I don't really drink coffee. But when I do, I drink a caramel latte with okay. um, oat milk. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But normally coffee makes me like really anxious and off the walls. So basically I'll avoid it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, literally. I'm like, I don't, I don't really drink coffee either. And when I do, it's usually decaf because I do like the taste. Do you? Know what I mean? do you? Uh, yeah, yeah, I can live without that. I'm all good. With, I'm a, I love a herbal tea. I'm a herbal okay, tea yeah. type of girl. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> okay, so what's your favourite city? In the world, um, yeah. Okay, the first thing that came to my head was New York. New York, actually, like that's the first thing that popped into my brain. But I don't actually know whether that is my favorite city. But I do miss it. I also love Miami. So I've never been to either, and I want to go. So yeah, New, New York, York is definitely like everyone should go to New York at least one time. Yeah, there's something yeah. romantic, like, but also just it's every movie you've ever watched mm-hmm. personified. Do you know what I mean? It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, name one thing that you want to do that's on your bucket list. Um, go traveling. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which now is a great can. carry on from the last question. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I want to go traveling for like a more extended period of time. Okay. I never had a gap year. I never got to do like I guess what um a lot of people 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 traditionally do like in their younger years. And so I'd love to do like a three month or five month or six month journey and go and see some places I would never normally go to so yeah that's on my list yeah and the last question so growing up what was your dream job um to be a fashion designer really (laughs) yeah (laughs) mine was too too far off I'm not I'm not working in fashion and you are so (laughs) yeah I wanted to be a wedding dress designer like the mum in parent trap yeah 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 okay Mm. <laughs> when people say as well like Vivian Westwood I always lie and say that I'm related to her but I'm not oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie that's a really cool claim to fame so yeah isn't it I mean I yeah. wish um but yeah that's that's good that we got to know you a little bit better but first of all we're sort of going to delve deeper into your career journey and how you got into styling so did you go to university I actually did go to university I was at university for a really long time um but I don't think it's essential to my job. Also, it was more at a time where, like, I guess I, it was very, being very much instilled into me that I should go to university. Like, that was something mm-hmm. I was really gearing up to, to do um, from secondary school. 
Um, but I just knew that I wanted to go into the arts. And originally, like, I kind of toyed between, like, fashion, um, whether I wanted to become a fine artist. But I knew I had, have, I have, regardless, I had to go to art school, which is quite a mm-hmm. different, um, at the time, quite a different entry point. And how you gear up to that is quite different compared to, like, I don't know, just building your UCAS points. Um, you have to start doing, like, these portfolio interviews and, like, creating this big portfolio and going... It's quite harsh, it's quite intimidating, it's quite intense. And I found it quite difficult, like, the whole process of it. I got onto... And then also at the time you had to do a foundation course before you could get onto any BA, BA degree. So I got onto a foundation course at Kingston and then there happened to be, like, a pathway on the course that was um, fashion styling. Um, so, which kind of gave me like a, I was always interested in the idea of styling, but I didn't know much about it because I guess at the time as well, like without social media and stuff like that, it, it was harder to gauge what other people's jobs were within fa- yeah. in the fashion industry outside of being a designer. And there are so many different career paths, but I guess it's just not really open to you like that. And I think it's so much easier to see what other people do now than at the time. Like it was kind of like, uh, I, the only thing I thought of in fashion was fashion design. Um, so I had, like, during the foundation course, I started to know a little bit more about styling and I wanted to, like, assist and stuff. And, like, I had, like, some family friends that, like, knew someone that was, like, some distant, distant person that was styling and I assisted them, like, one time. And I really liked it and I was like, hey, this is something I think I should carry on doing. But, um, I actually ended up on the BA, um, fashion design course at Kingston but within my first six months, I had already dropped out because I just really didn't like it. I just felt like really unconnected to the course, like, and I just wasn't really getting it. And I think I was just kind of alienating myself more and more. And I think the shock also of like independent learning at university for me mm-hmm. was a lot. Like it was a massive transition and I just didn't feel like I had like the skills to like really do it. And I was kind of just... I was also grappling with the idea that, like, my whole life I'd been kind of gearing up towards the, this point to be, like, a fashion designer, quote-unquote, and I ended up not liking it, and that just really rattled me, because I was like, well, who the hell am I? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What am yeah. I going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, so I left Kingston, and then I went and just worked, like, I worked as a waitress, and I was just kind of, like, working out what I wanted to do. And I also, I had to face my parents at this point as well because it was, like, really important then for me for me to go to university. And I was just a bit like, OK, you know what? I'm going to drop out, yeah, but I'm going to get find another university place through clearing mm-hmm. in, like, August. Because it kind of just... That just seemed to appease everyone. And I guess it also seemed to appease me because I was like, I can work for now and I've definitely come out with something that I definitely didn't want to do. And now I'm going to have to work out what I do want to do but I've got, like, six months to work this out kind of thing. And I'm working as well, so it's not like I'm, like, I've got money coming in. And, like, so everyone's happy kind of thing. And it gave me a chance to also heal from this whole, like, saga of not really knowing. Like, it was, like, a big deal. Like, it felt like my whole world kind of, like, crashed. And I was like, who, what the hell am I going to do? But then styling was always in the back of my mind, and and I had been kind of keeping up with, like, assisting and doing little projects with people and da, da da so like that was always just kind of becoming like a hobby and a passion for me and in the end when it came round to clearing like when you go through UCAS and look what random spots are left on any course <laughs> throughout the country um there was a spot left for fashion marketing and textile design 
um, at London Metropolitan. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. Like, it's a bit more academic, which I think is good for me because I actually like that at school. And so I can learn a little bit more about, like, the kind of the business and kind of marketing and stuff like that. But then it also has, like, a a creative aspect to this course, which I thought was good for me too because I think I'm that kind of person. Like, I'm a bit of both. I'm not, like, fully one thing. So I was like, at least I'll have something, like, a create a bit of a creative outlet, but also, like, I'll be able to, like, learn something traditionally, so to speak. And then I started that course and I actually liked it. Like, I genuinely liked it. I didn't really care about textiles. To me, that was just, like, meh. But I actually really liked fashion marketing. I really liked every module. There's a psychology to buying and consuming, and I just really liked that. And it really started to tie in really well with the idea of styling because obviously there's something really creative about styling, but then there is also something really strategic about styling. Okay. Especially when you're working with like, everything has a target, everything has an audience, everything has like a market. And you have to like creatively um, share that through this imagery and make people understand what you're trying to convey through this imagery. And that happens a lot in styling. Especially also with talent, because whomever their audience is has to understand them through their image, and you are curating that image. So that kind of, all of that became like a blessing. But all in all, I was at university for like five years. So (laughs) it was really long. (laughs) But no regrets, because at the time, this was long ago, I got like maintenance grant, or university was a lot cheaper. Um, Obviously, I'm in a lot of debt now. But um, it basically well, allowed me... Fine. Yeah. I just ignore that, basically. I just ignore <laughs> it. Every time my tax comes around, I see there's, like, a tiny amount <laughs> that goes... But whatever. Yeah, I basically, it allowed me to... Firstly, kind of just... Obviously, my parents were, like, you're studying, so they just kind of left me to study. But it also allowed me to do everything I wanted to do outside of study time. So, like, all my little projects, all these unfunded, unpaid stuff, I could do because I was still at uni mm-hmm. um, and I was there for like a long time so I was able to like build that portfolio in that time frame which was really positive and really good for me and I was just you know doing anything and everything because I was so motivated to to explore this career path so yeah I guess that explains my uni kind of experience. Yeah yeah definitely yeah, yeah. so um as well so where you are obviously today as like styling some of the big talent you're a celebrity stylist so what does a stylist actually mean I know you've talked about sort of like image consultancy um, and that sort of thing but what does it mean to you um styling to me I think exactly what I said though because you are like you are narrating a message mm-hmm. through clothing through a person in a time frame or a campaign or like a video like you are literally creating messagery through a look and that is what styling does mean to me um I think styling at a different point though meant a lot more to me like in a sense that like it was a lot an identity that I really was aspiring to have like I really wanted to be a fashion stylist and also over a long period of time there was a lot of like imposter feeling of when was the time to even say that I actually was a fashion stylist like when was the moment that Mm -hmm. declared that and I guess over time, you kind of naturally... Although there are some times that people will come and humble you and tell you that you're not, kind of thing. Right. But I guess also styling, for me now, sometimes 
it does feel like not as meaningful as it did to me at a different point in my life. I think because now it has become my job, my everyday, my bread and butter. Whereas before it was such a something that I was climbing towards, yeah. like literally was the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow kind of thing. So it's like I'm here now. So I think the meaning to me is, is slightly different. Yeah, it's almost like you've got there now, but what's sort of next? Do you know what I mean? Like you've, you've yeah. crossed that bridge, but what's, yeah, what's the next yeah. thing to look forward and, to? And it does, it, it's like, it, I guess, in all the phases and circles of my life, like, so every, like, five years, mm-hmm. you start to get older and you're also growing with it. And it, it's also like, yeah, what is next? Because you're growing older and it does become also more of, like, a very young person's game. So it's not, especially in more in the, cir- cir- like, sector that I'm in, mm-hmm. the kind of demographic that I do, like, could I still do this or would I want to? And where will this go now? But then, well, I think the great thing about styling is that it's such a springboard um, to other careers. Yeah. And, like, it does kind of, like, you can kind of channel, like, other things you want to do for it. That's how I felt, I felt about it a lot. Like, it's empowered me to be able to do so many other things and introduce me to so many other things. And that's why it's always been great. And also, I seem to always feel like I want to do something else, but then kind of, like circle back to styling so it's a bit bit, yeah (laughs) yeah no definitely we'll get on to your projects a little bit later on in the um in the podcast yeah but what is sort of like the process when you meet a client and like how do you get new clients on board or how do you know that they like fit well with you and you're going to work together well well it kind of depends because mostly when someone has sought you out it's because they feel that their your aesthetic Mm -hmm. is in line with what they want and need Mm -hmm. so you kind of feel like that would be there already but then some people also think that they want that and then they don't. But then it's kind of your job also to like filter out what exactly image that they want and a little bit of like collaboration of what you think would work too. So it's kind of, I guess from the preliminary meetings, you kind of work out whether you have a vibe with someone, but that's like anyone, yeah. like in any working mm-hmm. environment. But whether, I don't know, is it necessary for you to actually get on with someone on a level in order to work with them? Not always, Yeah. you know? It's 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 still just a it's it's a job like it's still a transaction. It's always amazing when you meet someone that you really like at work and that you can just really gel with and connect with because it does mean that you I feel like naturally you make more magic that way. Yeah, yeah. But it's not it's not every day, and I think that's something you do have to learn as well. Like in in career in mm-hmm. in a career yeah. in any career, you're not gonna like everyone. You're not gonna love everyone, <laughs> but you always have to kind of do your job at the best standard that you can. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I know we've sort of talked about what stylist means to you, but what would you say the difference is between styling and, I guess, creative direction? I guess, basically, technically in a hierarchy, creative director is higher up than a stylist. I don't want to even say it in, like, a hierarchy sense, but I mean more in the sense that a creative director would create the idea before briefing it to the stylist, Mm -hmm. if you know what I mean. That's my understanding of it anyway. So, like, a creative director is essentially head of the vision, of all the vision. They're thinking of the whole picture, everything to do with the image from the lighting oh can you hear me sorry you yeah. it clipped out yeah from the lighting from the <laughs> i guess the 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 long term trajectory of what this means from you know i don't know if it's sound if it's this like the overall feeling and they'll be able to brief that to right. the stylist and how the st- the stylist would then concentrate on what that would mean in a costume sense so what that would mean in a clothing sense right, okay. um what that would mean also but size will have an input into what potentially it could be for hair and makeup as well and I guess it is more of a collaboration of like talking between you like in any team it's not just a dictatorship like we all 
kind of contribute our opinions and some people will take it and some people won't and some people sometimes it is brief to you but in a sense I would say the difference between creative direction and styling is like creative direction is more the whole picture and styling is that picture represented in what the cl- in the clothes if that makes sense Closing the accessories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So when you work with like hair teams and makeup or whatever, is it usually like the same team or is it like dependent on who what who your client is? Oh, it's dependent on your client. Like you don't, for me personally, in my personal career, is like I've never worked with the same person like all the time. Like any time. Also people change, like okay. even with certain talent teams, um, hair and makeup will change all the time similarly to like sometimes styling because people's mm-hmm. availabilities people move on, people change right. stuff, they don't want to work, do you know what I mean? It's like, you're never, I feel like you're always seeing sim- a lot of the same people, but in lots of maybe different jobs. It's nice to see, like, I've worked with so many different people, but it's so nice to see different people in different situations. And then when you catch up again, like, maybe following you on another job, or or also working with the same people a lot and you really click with them, because you seem to dance the same dance. Like, every time we have to get ready for something, like, everyone knows mm-hmm. their time and their yeah. place and what they're doing at the time that they need to do it to make the operation run really smoothly. Because it becomes a bit of a militant operation when you have a time frame to get someone ready, and it has to happen now, and tying everything together... And making sure everyone's in a good mood. And we also, like, lift up that client to make them the best-looking thing they look... They will ever look like for that event or something, so... Um, another thing that I wanted to ask was... Styling is not a nine-to-five. Yeah. Um, so your hours aren't, like, you know, like a corporate job or whatever. So how do you sort of, like, deal with that, I guess? Um, because I haven't really ever had a nine-to-five, per se. Apart from, mm-hmm. like, some internships and, like, when I work, used to work in e-commerce... But even then, it wasn't 9 to 5 because I was still freelance, but working in a 9 to 5 hours. I don't really know what that's like. I've never really known what it's like to work in a corporate setting. I guess to some advantage and also some not advantage, like some disadvantage, should I say. Um, Because when it comes to some corporate things and like corporate terms, how people approach situations, etc, etc. I don't really know what that's like because I've never worked in a corporate environment. However, I guess for my type of brain, having a new thing every day is really nice because I'm never on something for a long period and like I can, my attention span is met, even if it's it's never more than a few weeks on a project. And that's good for me. I like the change. I like the, the pace sometimes. It's not been great when you're doing a lot of stuff at the same time and keeping up with it is actually a bit mind-boggling and sometimes you are working till 1am 2am unlike the normal person that is able to clock off it's yeah you have and people have access to you as well so like they will call you or message you at odd times or and you're kind of expected to your job but also because of the lead time you're paid to do something in a specific amount of time and I guess it means people have access to you whether that's right or wrong I don't know I guess I'm just used to it like I'm not I'm not mad at it. There has been times when I've, like, recently I thought about, like, how would this work when I have other responsibilities in my life, for example, like, family, etc. Like, it couldn't work like that. But I guess then you set your own boundaries of what works for you when those things come. And as time has progressed also, there's things that I just, like, before a couple of years ago I would have done, I don't do anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like, if someone messages me, I would reply straight away. Like, no, I don't. Like, I'll reply when the time is right to reply to yeah do you know what I mean like etc so I guess from someone who like me being a person that hasn't had those like 
routine a routine lifestyle. This is all I know. But sometimes I would I like the idea of what it would be like to have a routine. But then I don't know what I would like the monotony that comes with it because my attention span is so bad. So yeah. <laughs> Did you sort of switch to online styling? Like what was what was that like? Well, in the first, I guess like everyone, in the first five months of COVID, like four to five months, I wasn't really doing anything at all. Um, luckily, I had had a company for a certain amount of time, so I was able to get a little allowance. It wasn't a lot though, like it was it was really pittance, but also I was very lucky at the time, I was still living at my parents. So I managed to like keep things ticking over from paying for my rent for the office to like, and I'd had like, I'd had some invoices that hadn't still been paid. So I still had like a little bit backlog of things to like live off. Um, So my cash flow was working for that period of time. When obviously at the time I was working a lot in music and then when it got to like more the summertime, people were starting to still have mm-hmm. to release stuff um, to an extent. So I was asked to do like, kind of like I would just, I would get stuff in and I would just send it over. So I'd be kind of like, essentially kind of working remotely and just like talking to people on the phone or like FaceTiming and working out how they would wear this or da da da. So I had, it was kind of like slowly picking up over the summer while we were in the lockdown in the first five months. I was getting Instagram partnership. I was going under my rate, but I was still doing it. Like, I was doing anything that was coming because I was like, let me at least just keep some money in the bank. And then once we had got to, like, autumn, there was jobs happening. And it would be more strict. Like, you couldn't go to certain stuff or, like, I'd have to be tested or this, that, and the third or, like, masks and blah, blah, blah. Remember, it was just so up and down. Like, rules would be changing. Be this this time and another time, six people, 12 people, this. And people were like... And also... Well, I found a lot of people, not to get into people into trouble, but I feel like company or people who needed to get stuff done, they were getting stuff done. And then I moved out, which was kind of like a big risk, but it had to be done for a multitude of reasons. Um, And I had been avoiding it for a number... I say that my parents were a really long time because of freelancing for so long and yeah. being scared. I wanted to save a certain amount of money yeah, yeah. before feeling like I do, could do the leap and actually consistently maintain a lifestyle without you know being on the breadline so it kind of all worked in in tandem luckily but I guess I say also staying at my parents for a really long time obviously I, I was born and raised in London it's a very different experience it's a very different cost experience <laughs> as well so I was lucky enough to even stay there for as long as possible because it really did help me build my career because I wasn't having to think about extortion yeah, yeah. Rent. I was paying another rent for an office to make sure that I had somewhere else to go and work and I could just come home and just obviously I was paying for it in mental health but there was you know in other ways I was building the career that I needed to build you know there was a time when I really had to leave and I was like this is it I'm done now um that it kind of worked but yeah yeah no definitely and I guess I want to touch on as well you passing your experience on as a stylist so I guess the next generation of stylists oh yeah this kind of works for that time frame okay because during that lockdown I had actually actually randomly had planned a masterclass which had sold out and was actually meant to be in the April of just after they announced Covid in the March Mm -hmm. I was on holiday and England hadn't even caught up yet and they're already looking down where I was and I was like I have to cancel the masterclass because there is clearly a global thing happening and it's not going away (laughs) and um, everyone's like oh no and I was like no it's gotta go and then over the summer I was like I want to make a online version because it's so much better than the masterclass because anyone from anywhere can tap in and as we started to obviously started to live more remotely and not be able to go to things anymore all our lives become were becoming so much more like essentially at home or like wherever you can 
join in from i was like this makes so much more sense and financially and just like also on a sharing basis like people can just access it they'll be able to access it they don't need to travel to london from manchester for just one night and if you haven't got money you wouldn't be able to do that like you can just access the course and just and that was really important to me in order to be able to share it with as many people as possible and also give um a kind of course that meant that you didn't necessarily have to spend 27 grand at uni um to learn the basics of what this business is so the course doesn't tell you how to style mm-hmm. it kind of gives you because that's subjective like i don't need to tell you how to wear a pair of, a t-shirt with jeans like that's not my job yeah yeah but i'll share with you the knowledge of how to get into it the framework of the business and how you do certain things so that's kind of the basis of the course and it hit 300 students in that and i had a brief brand in the middle of that with one-to-ones as well because okay. I was heavy to see like what firstly I thought that was good because a lot of people would always contact me for my just mm-hmm. personal a personal chat with expertise and I guess it's reassurance to know where you're at and I thought I kind of enjoyed it as well and I thought it was a nice add-on to have onto the course right. and people really liked that and then I was like actually upon more market mm-hmm. research I was like I think I'm giving this a bit too cheaply in terms of like, but I didn't want it to make it break the bank, but I was like, how do I make this a happy medium in order for it to help the business, but also still be accessible to people in terms of like what you would pay, for example, a pair Mm -hmm. of trainers. Yeah, so I was trying to, I was basing it, and now it's basically the price of a pair of trainers. So based on that, and I thought that was good, like you get career knowledge for a price of a pair of trainers. Why not? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is still cheaper than twenty seven grand. So there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Why not? Um, but why was I guess lowering the barriers to entry and like offering this sort of mentorship? Why was it important to you? I think because firstly, really, when I look at my how I got into it, because I didn't really know anyone in it, and I I was just kind of like wading by myself, and I meandered so much it would have taken me half the time if I had had someone that told me essentially a little bit what to do. Um, It took me ages, it took me years. And even when I look at my assistants now, they're doing it half the time because they have guidance, they have support, they have someone to watch. And also because I used to get so, and still do, so many messages about people who want to get into this industry and don't know where to start and just want like a little, I don't know, like just just something to to understand it. Yeah, yeah. Or they think they want to. And I think that's a lot of people that will come. They think they want to do this job, but it's a really, really, really hard job. And if you really, Mm -hmm. if you really do want to understand, if you really do want to commit to this, you would commit to that. Yeah, yeah. So it was important for me to share it because I feel like, why not? Basically, what I've noticed with silence, like people will come, will start, they might move on to do something else or they start it or they carry on the rest of that's the rest of their life or it's a springboard to something else or mm-hmm. they feel that they want to be creative but they don't know where to start but this sounds like a space that would be the nice starting place and I guess like I've learned this much it just felt like a no-brainer for me to do it yeah 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 because I think as well when people see like the end result for example like you know someone you've styled at the Brits or etc etc they're not seeing like what you've had to do to get there like the late nights the sourcing of like whatever yeah. do you know what I mean so I feel like as well like like you're saying that's important to realize yeah I don't think people realize yeah it's mad sorry I'm just like there's a lot that goes into into essentially one fleeting moment mm-hmm. which can either have a massive impact or not like obviously you know there's mo you'll see style iconic moments in the world where those months of working on yeah. that has obviously impacted that person's career greatly 
because that look is something that we'll remember and we'll talk about in commentary for years to come or it was a part yeah. of their development of their fashion their style so it is so important like all of those essentially superficial moments really have a big impact in in your client's career and um you're really much at the helm of that so yeah it's, it's kind of crazy like do you ever get scared and you're like i don't know if i'm gonna nail this or i don't know how this is gonna go down of course because also it's not even just like in the pre-prep you're obviously like battling to make sure you get the best options and sometimes you're not getting any options at all and that's not necessarily your fault it just might just be a climate issue might be just timing what the event is where your clients are etc there's so many factors that go into it and it can be extremely scary and it can be extremely stressful and that's the parts of styling that i am starting to not enjoy because your validation is how good in is in how good you do and it's so um visible like everyone knows it's you and you know it's you <laughs> your name is attached to it and people will either celebrate it or analyze it or critique it and it's is really public and that can be hard especially if you're a sensitive person it's definitely not for the faint heart and also because you want your clients to be happy and ultimately you're there to make your client happy and you want to be able to facilitate that in every single way possible so it can be difficult when you're doing your absolute best but things aren't jigging together the way you wanted them jigging jigging together do you know what I mean and as well sort of overcoming barriers into entry but in 2019 you founded Note to Self so the self-development lifestyle brand yeah and your creative network so would you be able to talk to us a little bit about that yeah so um I created a like vision board making workshop and I just wanted to share that with people that I knew I wanted to share like the idea of vision board making and how it like has helped me in terms of like streamlining my goals and what I wanted to achieve in the next year I wanted to partner with someone basically back in the day I used to run a blog with like my best friend called Green Coco and we did like some really cool stuff it didn't work out in the end because she was going back to uni and I was also at uni it was just a bit like we weren't able to give it the energy it needed I think I was still kind of chasing like something else for me to do to like channel my energy into in a way like helping people but also creative and engaging um and had a community feel to it and I kind of discovered that by accident by doing this vision board making workshop and luckily like um I had a friend that worked at Adidas and she had some budget left over to do like some community stuff in the store she was like I'd love to host this with you so we did that together and I had to name it and I named it Note Self. And it was such an amazing event. I invited like 15 women that I knew that were either freelance or starting their own business or kind of had a side hustle or, or were aspiring to do that. And we had this like amazing evening of just drinking tea, making vision boards and talking and kind of talking through our vision boards at the end if we wanted to and hopefully manifesting the next year of our life. Do you know what I mean? I came away from that and I was like, I want to keep doing something like this. Um, So in the beginning of 2019, I was like, yeah, okay, cool. I'm, it lived on as a new brand called note to self and i was like i just want to make events like this that are just kind of kind of semi-networking semi-community-led self-empowering and also like giving you some skills like some whatever new skills are and i didn't really know where i was going with it but I went with it <laughs> and in the end like it actually garnered kind of a big community and we ended up doing some really good partnerships and some great events and some people that still work together now that met through the itself which I'm really really proud of the last thing that we did was like we had a long-term partnership with Puma and we had like a few podcast episodes and events what was difficult obviously is that once we turned the corner into 2020 was centered around in-person events and I didn't really know how to take that the infrastructure that I had created was kind of that and then as we got into covid i was very much wrapped into protect myself and my primary business which was styling because that was essentially what was funding note to self that i was like i have to prioritize this and i was really trying to continue it on
but I didn't have the infrastructure, I didn't have the team, I didn't have like the funding to be able to do that, which meant that unfortunately Notes Off had to had to close down. But that is the reality, isn't it? I mean Yeah. And then I thought I was like, I'm gonna take a break from this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, I don't think I wanna come back to it. I feel like it was great at the time and it's what I was trying to build for myself at the time. But I don't see that in myself anymore. I really loved everything about Notes Off, but I couldn't sustain it. And I didn't know how to essentially scale it into like a completely online business without me having to invest a lot of my money into it. And I I couldn't do that at the time where I was in my life. So yeah, so I decided in order for me to, I don't know, like push my business forward, that I would push my personal brand and make that more of a priority because that was really starting to work. Like I was getting a lot of like influencing jobs and stuff like that. And I was like, I'm going to have to concentrate on this and styling because that what is sustained me to achieve like my next goals in my life and I obviously did the course because I guess the course was also like my other outlet for helping others in some way which I guess was maybe like a 2.0 of note self in some way but in a way that I could share my skills in a different way the idea was to have it be a kind of like educational platform so I would release other courses underneath it because I did take the course down but I am meant to be re-releasing that again so I'll come stay tuned (laughs) stay tuned tuned. tuned. yeah But no, definitely. And I think it's important. Like, there's only one of you. You can only do so much, do you know what I mean, without spreading yourself too thinly. Yeah, and, like, I couldn't... Like, I only ever had, consistently, I always had, like, one intern working with me on it, so... But, like, yeah, at certain points, it was, like, a lot. Handing your own business, yourself, your life, and then another... Essentially, like, another growing business. And then I was starting to realise, like, is this for me? Am I this person? Like, And then it was a bit of imposter. Like, I was just a bit, like... And it is with regret, but a lot of people go through this. And, I mean, that leads us nicely onto like the next sort of thing that I wanted yeah. to talk to you about which is sort of like the toxic nature of I guess like the girl yeah, boss era well <laughs> Yeah. The whole thing around it was, is that when I wanted to be a stylist, I didn't realise it had to be a business. And it does. Because when you're working freelance and then, you know, all the things you have to go through, becoming a company limited, doing this, that and the third, or you, as you mm-hmm. go up in the ranks, it's a business and it generates money and you're going to have to like understand that. And a lot of my core group of friends worked nine to five jobs so I didn't have anyone to go to to talk to even my parents I had no guidance on what this life I was leading was is like and it was really isolating which is really actually what spurred me to start this note to self and the mm-hmm. vision board making workshop because I'd invited people that were also le- leading similar lives and to have a community of women that could rely on each other for advice for collaborations right. in order to be able to grow their businesses together essentially in a more like communal sense and you're always able to ask someone a simple question they can answer mm-hmm. in, a, in a safe space. And that's what I wanted. And it's hard to have that if you don't know, really know anyone around you that's like entrepreneurial or, or living that kind of life. Do you know what I mean? But there is a toxic culture, I think, now. Like someone I knew put it really clearly. The reason why we feel that we have to adopt all these other jobs is because we literally live in a society that is not giving us enough money to be able to live a comfortable quality of life on a normal job, not adopting a side hustle to be able to pay my bills. Yeah. Like, there's something fundamentally wrong in that. If you want to adopt a side hustle because you actually are not living the life that you want to live and you're trying to c- climb the ranks into another 
career path or whatever that's different but now I feel like people are adopting side hustles because they can't afford their life and that's when it is becomes toxic and you shouldn't be working like even when I look at my own life I don't think it's normal to be working to 1am I don't want to do that I want to be like everyone mm-hmm. else no one should be sweating me at 2am to do something like that's crazy that's insane we are all deserving of having like good work life balance mm-hmm. and order to, and also be able to afford things like basic things and i'm not talking avocado toast you know what i mean like or your netflix subscription like yeah that's yeah. essentially all of that's bullshit it's irrelevant because you should be able to afford that anyway <laughs> but it's um i think everyone knows what i mean yeah no but i yeah. do but even yeah even with yeah. like talking on instagram or whatever i've got so many friends that i've met through instagram that have like nine to five jobs and the only reason they can live in london is because they're doing instagram as a side hustle that's the only reason yeah. they can afford to do that well even like i've started to realize like i'm like oh like, i actually earn a pretty good living but when i'm i have like a spreadsheet where i account every job i do tick tock tick it <laughs> off when it's been paid when it's not been paid uh-huh. etc my one organized thing i have in my life the google sheet anyway <laughs> And then um, I was looking and I was like, okay, so basically before it would be like dominated by styling things, mm-hmm. but I'd also be kind of like really worked off my feet, like really very run run off my feet, not not a comfortable experience. And now it's gone to like half styling, half socials, half styling, which I really like enjoying to be honest, because I'm like, I'm able to do it in nice nine to five slot time. It's allowed me to have more work-life balance. I can do these more like more stretching, more intense styling jobs mm-hmm. that take up way more hours of my time but then I've got these nice like social jobs that just you know a couple of hours a couple of hours edit and then you know we're good to go but then also maintaining that which essentially is free work but also it's not free work but it's such, it's such a difficult thing to explain mm-hmm. is you having to continue your life on social media constantly in order to support the idea that partnerships will come in. And that I have found difficult right. because in the times that maybe I haven't really wanted to be on social media because I'm so busy doing other mm-hmm. stuff, like actually, well, I say actually working, like I'm working, but like so stressed out, I can't even pick up my phone and take a picture. It kind of depletes the idea of what you would gain from people looking at you to do partnership because your life constantly has to be there because you need to maintain that audience. You need to maintain that engagement. You need to maintain that. And I don't want to do woe is me, but it's hard. It's... um it's a commitment like it's a commitment it's a lifestyle commitment to break away from every conversation in like a bloody restaurant with your friends because you need to take like a picture yeah 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 yeah. yeah. i'm not gonna lie as well it's like there's a lot of anxiety and paranoia like i already yeah i don't really talk about it that much i do actually really admire people that are able to come on uh, yeah on social or online platforms and really delve deep about like their own personal lives and stuff but like basically because I do have mental health issues there's a lot of times that I just kind of I withdraw from my own life Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean so I I also have to withdraw from social but then I've realized in the past or in the past couple months I'm like by the time I called my agent I was like I can't you need to push this back because I I just can't do certain stuff I just can't do it but then I was like it's a rock and a hard place because you're like "Eh, it's work yeah yeah. it's hard and also where I've never worked corporate I could never called in sick. Right, yeah, yeah. I don't have a yeah. no HR. Yeah, yeah. I don't have, like, I don't know who to go to for this, that, and the third. Like, I have to just do it. Mm-hmm. Even, I, I mean, I have called in sick, like, one time when I had an assistant co- to cover me. But, you know what I mean? Like, I can't just not turn up. Yeah. There's no one to come and replace me. And essentially, social media is, just working on social media is the same. There's no one to replace you. It's all you. 
you got to do it. People are expecting the content as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And also, like, you not posting for a long time or whatever can really, like, switch up certain things in your engagement and stuff like that. And I just feel sad to say it feels so, like, stupid, as if, like, this is stu- stupid. But then, in comparison, this is also a way of earning a living. So it's not stupid, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's serious. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Um, but lastly, I wanted to explore with you life's algorithm. So this is basically where I ask all my guests the same set of questions. Um, and I'm intrigued by the answers that you give. Okay, cool. So the first one is going to be what achievements are you most proud of? Um, I think I'm proud of all my achievements, to be honest. Sometimes I'll just look through my Instagram all the way to the bottom. And like I look and I stack a big, like a big diary of things I've done. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's, that was cool. I forgot about that. <laughs> like, and stuff like that. And yeah, I'm definitely proud of my entire journey, if I'm honest. Like, this is when I think about when I was little, what life I wanted to lead. Mm-hmm. This is the life I wanted to lead. Obviously, there's more things I want to do, but like, this is essentially the life I wanted to lead. And I am doing it. And that, I don't think I could be more proud of that, really. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and what's something that you've learned from? All of it. Um, <laughs> all of my mistakes. I've learned from it all. <laughs> I make mistakes every day. Don't we? Um, all? Yeah, no. I think you are constantly that. Sorry, these are such media trained answers. I learn something every day. But no, I've definitely. Um, what's the biggest thing I've learned from? I think it's because like, I can't really say. <laughs> sorry, that's what it is. I've had some very humbling moments. That's all I have to say. Okay, okay? yeah, yeah. Yeah, some full in your face moments. Some proper moments that make you feel like you do not want to see that person again the next day or ever again. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But you have to and you have to confront it. And that's what you learn from. You've got to move on and people move on. But yeah. It's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was one thing that you believe um, if it didn't happen that your life would be totally different? I guess if I didn't have that breakdown in university, then my life would be completely different, yeah. Like, it wasn't... It was obviously a horrible, a horrible time. But if that kind of, like, mad thing where I was like, I don't like any of this, and I actually stuck with it and was like, I'm not going back there. I'm not going to... A lot of people told me, like, I'll just stick with it, you know, just do it. But for why? I didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? A lot of people do that, though. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And, um, yeah, and I believed in myself, and I also set myself a plan that I actually did it. I think in my life, what I found difficult is always having a lot of self-doubt and not always trusting myself and what I think and what I believe and having a, a bit of a self-doubt, like, am I doing this because... I'm actually scared. Am I doing this because I'm actually lazy? Am I doing this because of this? Da, da, da. But actually, deep down, you know, and like, you should just go with your gut, really. Yeah, so, yeah. Gut, yeah, yeah. Um, thoughts on comparison and focusing on your own journey? It's very hard not to compare yourself now, especially in an era of time when you're constantly seeing what other people are doing or not doing. Also, it's not it's not reality, but obviously it's hard to, to not. My advice on that is just kind of mute stuff. Like, if you don't want to see it, just mute it. Follow things that you genuinely are inspired by, like, that make you happy kind of thing, that kind of, like, try to create your life to uplift you rather than depress you. Mm-hmm. Also, there'll be times when you are so resilient where nothing is phasing you. You're just, you know, every, everything's off a water, off a duck's back kind of thing. And there'll be times where, like, the tiniest thing is going to affect you deeply. Also, not everyone's the same. I'm just talking about myself. <laughs> but... <laughs> But there will be times that things, something really affects you. Some tiny thing mm-hmm. I learned in Reiki, like imagine like a gold bubble around you and 
that nothing can permeate it. So kind of like shake off the thing that happened and then just kind of convince your brain that it's as if, not as if it's not there, acknowledge it, but like that you can move on and you can just focus on some good positive things that are going to uplift you again. I don't even know what the question was. What was the question? <laughs> well, I've, I've got one more to go, so... Here's me being guru. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so final question for you. So what is one piece of advice or a favourite quote that you can share with my listeners? I don't have a favourite quote because I don't retain much in my brain. But I think one piece of advice, which is going to come across really lame and corny, yeah, but I think I'll just put some backstory to it, is that you have to be yourself. You actually actually have to be yourself. And you've if you don't know who yourself is, because that takes a long journey as well, and that's just a kind of like an everlasting journey, mm-hmm. you have to start getting to know it out of like your comfort zone way of making sure you get to know who you are. And also you like not liking stuff or not, you know, wanting to say no to things or to be more in line with who you, your spirit is and who you are, that's fine. Go with it. That's my advice. Well, on that note, it was absolutely brilliant having you on the podcast. It was a bit of a, I said this to you earlier, but um, it was a bit of a fangirl moment for me, actually, having you on the podcast as well, because I have followed you. you for absolute years on my personal Instagram account Also, as well. thank you for being so patient with me, because <laughs> this has been... <laughs> But no, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We've finally done it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I hope everyone enjoys it. But yeah. Me too. Thanks. Have a great day, everyone. (laughs)